Welcome to All Shall Be Well, a conversation hosted by InterVarsity's Women in the Academy and Professions, giving voice to women seeking to live fully into their God-given callings and be a redeeming influence, whether in the university or beyond. You may have noticed over the past academic year that a couple of my colleagues with Women in the Academy and Professions have graciously hosted several of the interviews for the All Shall Be Well podcast. Pandemic parenting, along with taking on a new job in the counseling field, have led me to discern that it was time to conclude my work with InterVarsity, which has included hosting this podcast for the past three years. So for this episode of All Shall Be Well, Conversations with Women in the Academy and Beyond, we thought it would be fun for Anne Boyd, managing editor at The Well, and soon to be interim podcast host, to interview me, Caroline Trisick, for my final episode. We hope you'll enjoy our conversation. Well, Caroline, welcome to your own podcast. It's great to have you here as a guest. <laughs> Thank you. And I wanted to start by asking about your history. We have heard your voice on this podcast for several years, but there's a lot our listeners haven't heard about your life and myself as well. So can you tell us about your journey? What has brought you to this place in the world today? Sure. Well, yeah, thanks for being willing to interview me turn the tables here a bit. (laughs) I wasn't sure where to start, but I'll start sort of at the beginning of my academic career, kind of thinking about vocation. I grew up in Ohio in a little Midwest town and went to Purdue University in Indiana for undergrad. And I actually started out there as a food science major. I'm not really sure what I was going to do with that, but chemistry was very challenging, particularly organic chemistry during my sophomore year. And it just so happened that I had signed up for an intro to creative writing class that was adjacent to my organic chemistry class. So Monday, Wednesday, and Fridays during my sophomore year, I would go to organic chemistry and suffer through it, understanding nothing of what was being taught. And then I would go to creative writing class right after at 9.30. And it was like an oasis in the desert. And so at some point during, yeah, at some point during that year, I changed my major from food science to English with a focus on creative writing. So that's a dramatic change. Yeah, it was. And it was so good. It was a life-giving change, made all the difference. Hmm. So additionally, then during that year, I had a moment during like a retreat that I was on with InterVarsity. Little backstory, I came to faith in Jesus my senior year of high school. And there's a long story behind that, but we won't go into all that on this podcast. Um, But all that to say, I came to faith in Jesus my senior year of high school. And when I went to Purdue, I knew I was a Christian and I wasn't sure what that meant for me. So I got involved in all sorts of different groups on campus, but it was InterVarsity that I stuck with going to a Bible study that first year, my freshman year, we were studying the gospel of John. And that was the first time I'd ever really read the Bible. And it was just incredible. So anyway, all that to say, I'm following Jesus. I'm changing my major from food science to creative writing. And then was at this retreat with InterVarsity and felt like I heard God say to me, you're going to go into ministry. Tell your parents. And that's all I got. Yeah, that's all I got. Like, I was like, "Uh, could I have some more, please? (laughs) And it was silence on the other end. So I didn't know what that meant. I didn't have a clear sense of where God was leading me, but I did have a sense that, you know, it was very clearly spoken to me that I was going to go into ministries. So I tried out different ministry opportunities, particularly during the summers. After my sophomore year, I did an inner city urban ministry program in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and spent 
the whole summer living in the city there and serving and learning about urban ministry. And then after my junior year, I went to Russia to do like a language cultural exchange ministry project. We heard about this a little bit on your interview with Christine Wagner. Yes, indeed. Christine was with me in Russia as one of the staff, and I was there as a student. And when I was there, I really enjoyed my time. It was challenging. I thought maybe maybe God's leading me to do missions overseas, and then it was clear that wasn't correct either. But yeah, during my senior year of college then, I was an RA, and it was really during that time that I got a sense that I really loved working with college students. I was still a college student, of course, but I worked, or not worked, I, well, I did work. The RA position, they kind of own you. Right. Yeah, I had a floor of, I think it was like 50 freshman women, and it was quite an experience kind of being a person for them to come talk to and be a witness in that space. So after my senior year as an RA, I decided to come on staff with InterVarsity. And that's kind of how that began. So then I was in vocational ministry with InterVarsity with undergrad students for six years at Valparaiso University in Indiana. And then we moved to Pennsylvania. And out here, I worked at Elizabethtown College, which is a small like liberal arts school in central Pennsylvania, Lancaster County. And was there for nine years. And then the past three years, been here with Women in the Academy and Professions. Awesome. And kind of in that catalog of events, you met your husband and married and had three children. Was that when you were at Valparaiso? Yes, yes. That was like at the end of my time there. So my husband's from Valparaiso, Indiana, and that's where we met. He was volunteering with a high school youth ministry program. And so we had a mutual friend who introduced us that was like, you should talk to each other about ministry and that transition from high school students to college. And so, you know, we met for coffee to talk about ministry and not long after we got engaged. (laughs) The rest is history. (laughs) Exactly. So you've been with Women in the Academy of Professions for three years working on the podcast. And in that time, I know that at some point you decided to go back to school and get your master's degree. Is that right? Yes. So probably since the very beginning, I would say it even probably goes back as far as my senior year of college being an RA and having the women that I was, I guess, sort of mentoring there on the floor coming to me randomly from time to time and telling me their stories, like just coming in and sitting down. I had one of those Papazon chairs. Do you remember the Papazons? I love those. The big like basket looking thing with a big pillow in the middle. Anyway, I had this papa's on and so students would come in and just kind of plop down and tell me their stories, almost even unsolicited. They would just like show up and talk with me. I guess that was my role too, right? But all that to say, it surprised me, I think, how much people were just like sharing their stories in that way with me. And then likewise, when I was doing undergrad ministry, I would have a lot of students come and share with me their trauma or struggles with depression and anxiety. And frequently I was referring them to go see a counselor because it was, mm-hmm. you know, not my skill set at that point. And I wasn't equipped to help them with the things that they needed help with. So that's sort of where it began. I think it was always in the back of my mind that I wanted to go to grad school, whether that would be for counseling or to get my master's in fine arts in creative writing, particularly Mm -hmm. creative nonfiction. But it was always one of those things that was like, oh, that'll probably never happen. I don't have time. I have small children. I had just a lot on my plate already. Mm -hmm. 
But yeah, then like a few, gosh, when was it? I don't know what year it was, but I was working at Elizabethtown College with undergrad students and some things happened, not with the students at all, but with a coworker. And it caused me to kind of like need to advocate for myself in that space. And oftentimes for women, I think for anyone really, but especially for women, there can be a cost to speaking up and advocating for yourself. And in this case, that was true for me. And I kind of lost my seat at the table in that area in Pennsylvania. And so I was like, what do I do? So I ended up calling and talking to a friend out in Chicago, actually, and asked for her advice. Like, what should I do? And one one of the things she said to me was, what would you do if you had unlimited resources? She invited me to like dream really big. Of course, I don't have unlimited resources. Not many of us do. But she That's really invited me. such a great me. question. Sorry. Right? Such a oh, great no. question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was a great question. I can remember where I was standing in my bedroom on the phone with her thinking about what would I do? And I was like, I would go to grad school. And mm-hmm. so my husband and I, every Saturday, our children were small at that point in time, like strapped into their car seats small. So we would drive every Saturday about a half an hour across the river, across the Susquehanna River. The Susquehanna River kind of divides Harrisburg, which is the capital, into like the east and the west shore. And so we would drive across from the east shore to the west shore to go to a particular restaurant every Saturday. We'd strap our kids in and it would give us time to actually talk to one another, which Mm -hmm. was lovely. So a little Sabbath event for us. And so we were driving, getting ready to cross the Susquehanna and we were talking about what would I do? What this dream big question that my friend had said to consider. And I said to him, you know, what if I went to grad school? You know, what should I do? Should I do counseling or should I do a master's in fine arts? Right. And he's like, I have no idea, but this sounds like a great idea. And I literally looked up and there was a billboard that said Messiah College master's in counseling. Wow. I'm not kidding. I know it sounds so unbelievable, but it's true. And these billboards are still up. So they're still advertising in this way. I mean, it worked for me, whatever, it's effective. But yeah, I was (laughs) like, if there was ever like the Lord clearly speaking, this was it. And so I went home and I looked it up and I applied and I got in. And four years later, after that, I did one class at a time. And most of it was online, except for two intensives and internships. So it took me a while, but I did it. Yeah. So I got my- Thank you. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I got my master's in clinical mental health counseling, and now I'm working as a a mental health counselor. Well, what I love about your story, Caroline, is how much you have been a listener. I mean, your whole life, it sounds like. I mean, we didn't Mm -hmm. get into your early childhood, but even from kind of your first moments of listening for God's voice and hearing about going into missions in some way, and then listening as an RA, and then in your ministry with InterVarsity. And even, you know, in this podcast work, you've been listening to women's Mm. stories and moving on to counseling. So that's a beautiful thing to have as a vocation. And we've been so lucky to have your presence here on the podcast. Well, I'm really curious. Sure, of course. (laughs) Tell me, I'm really curious to hear about your next season of life, what you're moving into and what you're excited about. So I've been working as a counselor, like I said, doing internships and then now, you know, actually getting paid for it for a little bit now alongside my role with women in the academy and professions and the pandemic kind of really 
showed me that I can't do it all. Sure. So many of us, I think as women, we try to do it all. It's just hard. It's not possible. I'm not one of those people that can, that has the capacity to do everything. So, you know, something had to go. And at this point Mm -hmm. it felt like my family, it definitely comes first. And then my work as a counselor, it just feels really significant to me right now. I think, I hope it always does, not just right now, but I think Mm -hmm. there's something about, there's such a privilege and it feels like really holy work to sit with clients, to hold space for their pain and come alongside them as they work toward reaching their goals and finding, hopefully finding wholeness and healing in whatever that might look like for them. So that's one of those things that feels like the right, like I'm following, I'm hearing God's voice again, clearly, like this is where you're supposed to be. And the other thing that I'm looking forward to Mm -hmm. is, and that I've been doing Like I said, I got my undergrad degree in English with a focus on creative writing. And my main thing I would say in that my main form of writing that I'm drawn to the most has been poetry as like a way of processing life, just sort of like a creative outlet to get out the feelings that are inside of me that I sometimes can't put words to. I heard somebody say recently that poetry is kind of like its own language, sort of like Mm. a translation a way to translate emotion into words. And I realize poetry is words, but there's something to it for me that makes it feel like if I can't communicate what I'm feeling, just like in sentences, I can put it into a poem, Hmm. even for myself to understand what's going on for me. So I've been spending a lot of time the last few years. I read an article, a journal article during grad school about creative writing as a form of self-care for therapists. Hmm. And it was super interesting. And I clung to it as a a way for me to think about how I can care for myself well after sitting with people and holding their pain. And yeah, I have been able to come home and kind of spend a little bit of time writing. And that's been really, really good. So the last couple of years, I've uh, kind of revived some of my poetry writing that has been dormant for over a decade, I would say, because I spent a lot of time in undergrad, of course, writing poetry And then there was a long stretch of time where I didn't. And now it's kind of coming back to life for me. And it's been really fun. Well, and I think that we have an article of yours at the well that has a poem of yours in it already, which we can link to. And I'm curious to know if you have any current poems that you would be willing to share with with us, things that you've been working on now. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. There was a poem, I think, at the well a couple of years ago about grief. And it was related to grad school too, I think about processing grief and death. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I'll share a poem. The one I'll share with you kind of came out of just this daily sort of writing poetry to process my day. And sometimes my oldest son, he's kind of a process through writing kind of guy too. And every once in a while, he and I will give each other like a challenge And I'll give him like a structure for a poem or a word and then challenge him to write a poem in that way. And he'll do the same for me. So there was one day that I had some time that I had to myself and I was like, hey, give me a word and I'll write a poem. And so he just, you know, picks a random word. And that's kind of where this one came from. The point of this whole poem, I think, or what I gained from it was just the idea. Well, I had been thinking a lot about memory and like what the purpose of memory what we remember, how we remember, and its role in our lives. And so anyway, so this poem 
is about remembering. So I'll read it. Great. Give me a word and I'll write a poem, I say to my son. Fern, he replies. I instantly time travel back to 1988, the year that my grandmother died. To the land before time, a cartoon film of dinosaurs, one called Littlefoot, who was orphaned and lost, found by an unexpected group of friends to walk with him along a sort of ascent through famine, fire, and adversaries to find the Great Valley, to home once again. And if my memory correctly holds the story, they arrive at a river with ferns to feast, nuzzling their dinosaur noses together, families reunited, grief and laughter mingled as they drank from the waters. It seems as though random memories come to mind from any word, associations from scents or sounds or tastes or a touch. Some disrupt my day, drag me into the past, and some bring nostalgia, comforts from childhood that hold me like Littlefoot's friends held him. Zakar, to remember, is one of the most repeated words in the Hebrew scriptures, an invitation to intentionally draw to mind all that has been. Zakar calls me and you and us to recall, not just in mind, but in body, to wade in with equal parts fear and courage, reminding me of what Mary Carr has written, everybody I know who wades deep enough into memory's waters drowns a little. I am reminded of the third chapter of Ezra as well, where the temple began to be rebuilt, brick by brick, despite the fear, it says. And when the foundation was finally laid, there was weeping as the older generation remembered and shouts of joy over new beginnings, woven together with the sounds of the sorrow of all that had been, indistinguishable from one another, and the sound was heard far away. I hold in my hands, cupped as a vessel, the memory's waters, and lightly tap my fingers into that basin of holy water. I bless myself with the sign of the cross, both those reminders that disrupt and those that call to mind goodness. I honor them and all that falls between. Give me a word, I ask again, and I'll write a poem to remember. Hmm. Wow. You can hear in that poem, Caroline, how much you appreciate words. And I mean, I can just hear what you're saying about that you use this art form to express your emotions as you're sorting through ideas. And that poem especially feels right now really important as we are all sorting through our memories of this past tumultuous year of the pandemic and how precious those memories are and how it causes us to, this Mary Carr quotation about that mm. you die a little bit, that's really beautifully set in your frame of that poem. Thank you for sharing yeah. that with us. Thanks for hearing it. Yeah, well, as a gift. Thank you. And it actually makes me think of the next question that, that I'd like to ask you is about your memories of this podcast in particular. Just thinking about how you have been interviewing dozens of women over the past three years. And, you know, maybe this is like asking which one of your children 
is your favorite, but I'm wondering if you have any particularly memorable moments that you would like to share with us, things that rise to the top of your mind as highlights or particularly impactful experiences you had on this podcast. Sure. It does feel a little bit like asking me to choose a favorite child, (laughs) but that's okay. (laughs) I'll answer it anyway. And hopefully no one out there is offended. My children frequently fight about who they think is our favorite. So (laughs) I'm just offending people all over the place, probably. Anyway, all that to say, I think it's probably clear to the listeners if they've paid attention that I certainly have my biases and that they show up in who I've invited to be on the podcast. And so, you know, you'll hear a lot of mental health podcasts woven in or counselors like Andy Kolber or Sheila Wise Rowe. Likewise, there've been some poets that you've heard. Yeah. I think the other people that come to mind, there are some people who I just feel like, wow, I got to interview Dr. Brenda Salter McNeil, you know, I got Mm -hmm. to interview Rachel Den Hollander, you know, people like that I wouldn't have ever imagined. The other one, oh, Lucy Shaw, you know, people who I had read their work or had heard them speak and have been really impressed by and to get the chance to actually talk with them and ask them questions and hear their answers has been a real gift. So there's definitely been some standout moments with some of those women that I've interviewed. And then there's some people who have been friends of mine from decades ago, like Christine Wagoner and my friend Lisa Mm -hmm. Deem, who I interviewed early on, and Kathy Kong. She was my first guest on the podcast. And yeah, it's been a gift to just talk with women, all sorts of different women from different backgrounds and different, different cultures and different journeys than my own and to hear their story and to see how how we align or how we relate to one another, even though we're all very different. Well, and I remember hearing all of those conversations and really appreciating the way that you drew out stories and connections from these women. And I'm wondering, as you reflect on these, are there any patterns or themes that have become apparent? Or do you feel like you have pieces of wisdom that you've picked up about life as a woman in the academy and beyond? Yeah, I think some of the things that if I think about it and look back on the different conversations that I've had with women, one theme that comes up a lot is the idea of boundaries, saying yes and saying no, and learning as women to know when to say yes to things and knowing when to say no to things. And I think, too, along with that, there's been this sort of idea of how do we choose what to prioritize, right? And often women thinking deeply about using their time in the way that God is calling them to, in the way that is wise and good and not just spreading themselves thin. I can think of all sorts of conversations. There was one with Ruth Lopez Turley in the beginning that I did that where she talked about like, having a family and when is a good time to have a family? She often gets asked by students and saying there is no good time. It's always, (laughs) everything is a sacrifice. There's often, you know, it's just discerning what to prioritize, what feels most important for that season. And then along with that, like our connectedness to one another has been a theme that I've noticed Mm -hmm. come up just that, Your suffering is linked to my suffering 
and your joy is linked to my joy and your freedom and your justice is also linked to my freedom and my justice that we're inextricably connected to one another. And if we're ignoring someone, then we're ignoring ourselves as well in some sort of way, you know, like the body of Christ, right? You can't ignore Mm -hmm. the different body parts that we all matter. Yeah. And then I think other things, of course, racial justice and learning to listen to one another has been a theme, learning to be a witness to others' stories and others' pain. Another theme I noticed was that many of the women talked about Mary, Mary, the mother of Jesus. She came up a lot and it was surprising to me and also interesting. And so it made me also think about Mary and her role. I mean, I guess in the Catholic tradition, right, she's referred to as the mother of the church. So thinking about Mary in my own life and finding it interesting that and most of the women that brought up Mary were not Catholic. They were Protestant. Mm-hmm. It just was something that came up for them. All that to say, I think the main theme that I noticed from the conversations that I've had through the years, that they've all been women who have found their voice, whether that be through writing or through speaking or preaching or teaching, that they all have been women who have done the work to find their voice and learn how to use it to the glory of God and to the empowering of others. Well, and you have given them a platform for their voice in a new way. This podcast by amplifying their message for our listeners that all fits beautifully. And I love hearing all those universal themes that you've observed. This work of yours for the past three years is, you know, a masterclass in how to live as a woman in the academy and beyond. Well, thanks. Fangirl time for Caroline. I'm just so, I'm so excited about the work that you've done. It's really, it's really great. (laughs) So one thing that I know about you, Caroline, is how strongly you feel about music. And I would love to hear a little bit about some of your favorite bands and what you love about them. All right. So this is hard because I do love music and I love a lot (laughs) of music. Yes. So if I had to describe like my musical taste altogether, I would say it's chill. Like most of my music that I prefer to listen to is really low tempo. My children make fun of me if there's occasionally a song that has like a lot of a beat to it, they'll be surprised and they'll say, oh, this one has a drum set. (laughs) So anyway, all that to say, so it's kind of chill, kind of calm music overall. My all-time favorite band is Over the Rhine and Mm. they are a husband and wife singer-songwriter couple from, well, they're not from Cincinnati, Ohio, but they got their start there together which over the Rhine is a little neighborhood in Cincinnati. And like I said earlier, I'm from Ohio near Cincinnati area. So connection there, but I just love their music. And I think their music in particular is very lyrical. The lyrics could totally stand alone without the music and be read as poems and have an equal impact. And yet at the same time, the music is equally powerful. There's just something about the way that they put the music together, the chords and the notes together, that is just as impressive to me as the way they put the words together for their songs. So Over the Rhine, all-time favorite. Yeah. I agree. I don't know if, we, if we've ever really talked about this. I don't think we have. I'm an Over the Rhine fan too. I think, I mean, I'm not from Ohio, 
And you don't so have to be not the same thing, but yeah, I've loved over the rhyme for years. And in fact, for a while, they had a tradition where every Christmas they would come through for a tour and a stop in Chicago and do a performance, yes. like kind of a Christmas. So we went to that for several years running. And then I think they've taken a break from that. And of course, with the pandemic, but pandemic, big fan yeah. over the Rhine. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Old Town School of Folk Music. Is that where you saw them? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen them there as well anyway. Okay. So a few more. So there's part of me that's really stuck in the nineties, the 1990s <laughs> that is. And I really appreciate the cranberries and uh, other angsty white girl music, such as Alanis Morissette. That's a little known it. fact. And then also more contemporary Maggie Rogers, if you know Maggie Rogers, she is a brilliant young singer-songwriter. And then I'm just going to, you know, name a few people here because there's not time Mm -hmm. for all of the people. And then one of the musicians that my husband and I both really like a lot, his taste in music is more upbeat by a lot. So we don't always find musicians that we both love equally. But Matt Carney is one of the musicians that he and I both have really enjoyed and gone to concerts to see live sort of more in the Christian realm, some newer artists, Jess Ray and Taylor Lenhart. They've played at some coffee houses that we used to host at Elizabethtown College when they were getting their start. And now they've become a little more, a little more well-known. And I really love their music in particular. I think that's just really spirit-filled and their, their music is, how do I put it into words? It's not seeking to like be pumped out of like the Christian music industry. It's just music that seeks the truth. And Mm -hmm. some of Jess Ray's songs are kind of sung from the perspective as if God were singing over us, like singing to Mm -hmm. you. So like a first person perspective from God's perspective, like singing to you. And I Mm -hmm. think that helps me sort of land in truth and land in like a space of peace. Similarly, like Bebo Norman, I mean, he's a little older back in the day. And Andy Gullihorn, Jill Phillips, Sarah Groves are some some folks that I would put on for calming music that would comfort me if I need it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, and I should say, too, that I'm actually a, a little bit of a Taylor Swift fan. But nice. yeah, it makes me maybe sound like a 12-year-old girl. However, <laughs> I think her newer stuff especially is really good. Like mm-hmm. not that her old stuff wasn't, but she's definitely matured as a songwriter and some of her newer stuff has been really meaningful to me lately. I love that. And I love your enthusiasm about this. And I'm really excited because you agreed to make a Spotify playlist of some of your favorites to share with us. I did. And you said to make it five to eight songs. So it's about 15. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) You're excellent at following instructions. (laughs) Best, The best. (laughs) That is great. Well, I look forward to listening to that. And I want to end with a question that you have developed in the podcast, Caroline. So I'm going to turn it on you. We like to conclude the podcast with the same question to all of our guests. Is there a particular quote, scripture, song, or other set of words that have been meaningful to you lately? And can you share about why it resonates with you at this time? Sure. Yeah. So this was hard too, to choose, even though it's my question that I've asked (laughs) lots and lots of people now that it's being asked to me, how do I choose? But the thing that came to mind is actually the doxology. 
yeah, if you're not familiar with the doxology, it's, I think, particularly sung in the Protestant tradition during the liturgy. And I can remember singing it as a small child. We didn't go to church a lot as a child, but I can remember singing it. And this past year during the pandemic, we've been watching online church, a totally different church than the one we actually attend in person. And it's been really good. They sing the doxology in the service. And it immediately, like in the beginning of the pandemic, it was something that calmed me and kind of grounded me and centered me in the midst of, you know, this sort of trauma. I think you can call it collective trauma, this pandemic for many of us to find that sort of anchor in those words. And I think it's because it invites, like it sort of invokes the triune God, right? To be praised and to be present with me and with my family. And I've been trying to incorporate it at dinner around the table. We have had this routine of praying a prayer together, and then we each choose someone to pray for, and then we we do it quickly because it could get wordy with children and adults. <laughs> anyway, I've been trying to get the family to also include the doxology in that routine at the end of dinner. Only three out of five people in our family are on board, sadly. <laughs> That's that's a majority. So you're it doing is. pretty well. And so we've been doing it, but some people are they they're not interested in singing out loud is what their issue is. Sure. But yeah, so can I read these words without singing them? I don't know. Do you want to sing them? Will you sing know. them? You can probably sing better than I can. Well, um, I mean, I did go to school for that. So but what I, 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 I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> I did not. I, I'm not a counselor, so we all have our <laughs> it's true. Just go for it, Caroline. Okay, here we go. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. That's beautiful. And we can all sing along with you. And then people can do that in their car. Thank you, Caroline. Thank you for sharing those words and for singing them. And I just want to thank you again for the work that you have done over the past several years with Women in the Academy and Professions, serving as the podcast host and sharing all these conversations with us. It's been such a joy to listen to, and I'm so glad to hear more of your story. And I'm excited about this next season of your life. So thanks for being here. Thank you so much, Anne. Thank you for joining us for this episode of All Shall Be Well, conversations with women in the Academy and beyond. Information about our guests can be found on our podcast page at thewell.intervarsity.org slash podcasts. This has been a production of Women in the Academy and Professions, a focused ministry initiative of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship USA. We value the contribution of podcast guests who are not employed by InterVarsity, and we acknowledge that the opinions of our guests may or may not represent the ministry, doctrine, or policies of InterVarsity. Thank you for joining our conversation as we engage in faith and life together. We'd love to hear your feedback. To share your thoughts or to learn more about who we are or the resources and connections we provide, 
we invite you to visit us at our online gathering place, The Well. You can find us at thewell.intervarsity.org.